Boys dream of becoming police officers, firefighters, doctors, astronauts, and in my case, as a small child, a samurai ninja. What's behind each of these dreams? It's the desire to save the day, to help the needy, to achieve the incredible, and to be a hero. My son Asher is three years old, and his favorite game to play with me as of late is superheroes. He puts on his Captain America costume. Yes, he has a Captain America costume, and he will wear it to the grocery store. It's adorable. He puts on his Captain America costume, costume, and he asks me to be Batman, and then he hears problems in the house that need to be fixed, things and people that need to be saved, and I tell you, every time we play superheroes, there is an imaginary cat in the basement, in the ceiling, that he can't reach, and he needs Batman to go and grab the cat and bring it back down so Captain America can snuggle it to save the day. There is an inherent desire knitted into the very fiber and being of man to provide for someone's need because God placed it there with intentionality. We're going to read this morning from Luke's gospel in chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And as you open up your Bibles or turn on your devices... I want to talk just, this is an encounter that follows immediately where Jesus was, was uh, with Mary and Martha, and the three of them are together. And without going into too much detail about that encounter this morning, it, really it deals with the tension of properly relating to Jesus. Do we feel the need to busy ourselves, or are we simply content to be in the presence of God? Now, the disciples see what's going on. They see Jesus go off to pray, and when he finishes, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if I find myself in the disciples' shoes, I wonder if I'm struggling through what I just watched and wrestling with that tension of doing versus being or working versus resting and, and not really getting it, but seeing in Jesus something that is desirable, maybe that I lack, maybe that I don't understand, but they know that they want it. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through to 13. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Some translations add, but deliver us from the evil one. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose, one, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, 
and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he did, but that's not all that he did. He revealed something to them about the heart of Father God, and if you get nothing else this morning, I'm giving it to you early today, all right? If you get nothing else this morning, I want you to understand this, that he revealed the heart of God, that the heart of God is to provide for all of our spiritual needs. Men, The desire that you have within you to be the provider for your home is not because you've evolved from some cave-dwelling Neanderthal carrying a club around trying to get the next kill to provide food for your family. Not at all. It's because God placed within you on purpose the heart of the Father to be a provider. And He's placed that within you. Jesus responds to the disciples And really, what he's saying is that learning to pray isn't about a script. It's about understanding the Father. One day, Jesus was praying. The disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. And he said, when you pray, say, Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I know that many of us who have been within the church for for quite a while have heard this prayer many, many times, but I believe that there's something powerful as we begin to break it down and walk through it step by step. Our Father, Abba, Daddy God, our Father, it's communal. Jesus is asking us to pray it together, to pray it often, and Abba suggests, some say that it suggests intimacy, that our relationship with a father figure is that he is a caring one and that we are to have a childlike trust when it comes to approaching our father. Holy is his name. Our father is set apart in character. We are not communicating among peers. When we approach the throne of our father God, he is unequaled. He is holy. And the respect that we give to human position, that's a good thing, but that respect needs to pale in comparison as we approach our Heavenly Father. Kingdom come. We need to desire His power to be made manifest on earth. You know, the first century Christians longed for God to show His fullness of power. And I know that we live in a fallen world, and so as we pray this, we pray it with hope. This is a prayer that brims with hope. It is a cry for eternity. We are taught to pray, give us today our daily bread, because we understand that everything that we have that is good comes from our Father, down to the very food that we eat, and we ask for forgiveness of sins and to help forgiving others. It's wrong to ask God for what we will not give to one another. Finally, spiritual protection. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when we take a look at this text, the word temptation, it's often misunderstood. Because God surely doesn't lead us into temptation, does he? That's not the character of our Father. No, this, this request reflects a recognition of ourselves. A recognition that without God's leading, we are surely to lead ourselves straight into sin. We are naturally prone to sin if we don't seek His face, and so we must do so daily. When we look at this whole prayer that Jesus instructs His disciples to pray, when we look at it as a whole, we see that the prayer demonstrates a total reliance on God. We recognize His holiness, that we're desperate for His kingdom, that we want His power, that we recognize that He is the one who provides every need with special care and attention paid to our spiritual needs. When Jesus' disciples ask Him, how do we pray? He teaches them about the heart of the Father. There's an invitation here in those four verses to a deep intimacy with Abba Father who provides every single need. That our God is gracious, that our God is approachable, and that our God is generous. What we understand about the heart of our Father impacts how we approach Him. What we understand about the heart of a father impacts our willingness to approach him. Not only is there a revelation of God's heart here, there is a call to prayer, and in prayer, his heart continues to be revealed. See, as you begin to approach him in prayer, you receive an even greater revelation of his heart for you. And when you receive that greater revelation, you begin to want to approach him even more. And it's a cycle that continues to grow in depth and health and intimacy and relationship. You know, I remember one morning in particular that uh, I was sitting here in the front row. And uh, and Sophie, my daughter, she was probably three or four years old at the time. And she came in through the back doors. I think Stephanie had, uh, had walked with the kids and they got here a little bit later than normal. And Sophie comes in the back door completely oblivious to kind of social norms, and she sees me standing at the front, and she goes, Daddy! And she just runs down, and she jumps into my arms. How do we get to a place like that? Consistency. Intentionality. By continually spending time in prayer, that we begin and that we learn in a greater and greater way how the Father delights in us and how He feels for us, so that we have a desire within us to run into His arms. When we pray, it's relatable to God. It's meant to be constant. We know that being in relationship requires communication. If we were to become Christians and to, and to no longer pray, but only say a prayer on Sunday mornings, if you don't pray, it's, it's akin to you getting married, coming up to the altar saying, I do, and then going mute. We understand in our earthly relationships that what is required for health is healthy communication. And God is calling us to the same thing, that when we don't have communication, those relationships grow unhealthy and cold. And Jesus instructs us to pray. And just as a note, when he says, you pray, those words in English are in the singular, but when they're translated from the Greek, it's actually the plural. 
So Jesus is calling us to come together and do this. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because here we are all together doing just that today. But sometimes we hear comments like, I'm a believer, but I don't need to be in relationship with other Christians in order to love Jesus. I don't need to come to church in order to be a Christian. And I understand that that there is that singular aspect to our relationship with Jesus. However, Jesus calls us and he says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. You pray, gather together and pray with one another. Now, Jesus' response to teach us to pray is teaching them the Lord's Prayer, revealing something about the heart of the Father. But I think in that moment that the disciples really, like, didn't get it entirely. I don't know if you've been in that place that maybe, like, they understood some information, but it stayed up here and it didn't travel down into their heart where it changed them. And I think Jesus understood that. Maybe you can relate to that, that, you've, that you got it, but you didn't entirely catch it. And Jesus finishes teaching them how to pray, and he says, okay, uh, uh, guys, I want to tell you a story. Let's say that, that you have a friend that shows up at your door at midnight and says, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up and give you any, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, for us to understand this parable, we need to understand something about first century culture. And the first thing is this, that food was not readily available. If I run out of food and I need something to provide to a guest in the middle of the night, I am not knocking on my neighbor's door, right? We don't relate to it in that capacity. I'm jumping in the car and I'm going to the local gas station to pick up a loaf of bread. I'm going to the nearest 24-hour store, grocery store, to pick up what I need. That's not the culture that these people are living in. This food is not available. Bread was baked every single day to meet the needs of just that day. The other thing that you need to understand is that hospitality was held in high regard, so much so that it was an obligation that a visitor was to be welcomed in your home no matter what hour they arrived. They were to be welcomed and to be cared for. So here's a dilemma that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, there's a late evening guest, but there's no food. What are you going to do? Something else we need to understand is that most ancient homes only had one room. So approaching a neighbor in the middle of the night meant that you were risking waking up the whole family. How bold are you going to be? Jesus asked the question, he says, which of you would have the nerve to wake up his friend and possibly his whole family in the middle of the night for bread? Three loaves of bread are going to provide the need given that there are leftovers. But the friend says he can't help because he doesn't want to risk waking up his children. 
Now, everybody who has children can understand that statement. I told you I wanted to be a samurai ninja when I grew up. When I had, when we had our kids, specifically Asher, I became a samurai ninja in order to place this child in his bed. It was the most difficult thing that we could do over the course of the day, at least for me, was to try and get this kid to go to bed and go to sleep. He'd fall asleep okay in my arms, and as soon as you place him down, it's like there's this alarm that goes off in his head. And you pick him up, and you try the whole thing over again. You know, we've got a routine. We're doing the laps in his room and singing the same song five times. We get him down, and I became a samurai ninja and learning what spots on the floor that I could walk on where it wouldn't creak and just realizing how I needed to transfer my weight to my back foot as I place him down so that I wouldn't like rock the bed as I got off and then closing and opening the door you know there's that little latch and it makes a little click sound that little click sound would wake him back up and so I needed to have samurai ninja skills so that he wouldn't even know that I had left the room and I got amazing at it guys like I'm proud of myself I was awesome at that every single parent understands how challenging this situation is because there's a child that's sleeping. There are children that's sleeping. I got to tell you that sometimes I closed the door and there was this weight that fell off of me physically in that moment. I felt, oh, it's the evening. I'm an adult again. And then the doorbell would ring. And it wasn't even a friend. It was the guy coming around trying to rent me a new water heater. I lost my salvation a couple times, guys. Oh my goodness. Jesus arrives at his main point. The neighbor responds, not because he's a friend, but because of his boldness. Now, the Greek word here is anadian, which I think is ironic because it sounds so close to Canadian, and I think about a Canadian stereotype. I don't think that we're very bold most of the time. But the Greek word, it means boldness and shamelessness. The man had the nerve to make the request, and out of recognition of his boldness and his shamelessness, the request is honored. This boldness, according to Jesus, is the qualification to approach our Heavenly Father for spiritual needs. Ask, seek, and knock. The promise of an open door lies before the sons and daughters who are not too shy to ask. Why does this matter? If we don't understand this, if we don't understand this morning that the heart of our Father is to provide for our spiritual needs, we begin to attempt to fill them on our own. When we fail to comprehend that God is the one who wants to provide for our spiritual needs, that we begin to try and fill those desires and those needs on our own, and I'm willing to bet that that doesn't go so well. We all have spiritual needs. What are they? Why don't we just go back and take a look at the Lord's Prayer again? We need to recognize that God is holy and that we are under Him. When we don't do that, we become our own gods. Or we begin to worship false gods. What's the problem with that? We let ourselves down. Our false gods let us down. Our priorities get mixed up and our heart becomes hurt. We need daily bread. When we rely upon ourselves instead of God for daily bread, for that provision, we become anxious. We become stressed out. We begin to trust money more than we trust God, and we begin to prioritize money and jobs and things over people. 
We need forgiveness, and we need help forgiving others. Look, when we hold on to unforgiveness in our lives, we grow bitter. Our hearts get hard, and we remove ourselves from a healthy relationship, and we become isolated. And we know that the Word of God says that if we don't forgive others, that the Father doesn't forgive us. And we need help doing that and letting things go and forgiving in Jesus' name sometimes. We need guidance. We need direction. We need protection from the enemy of our souls. Now listen, the Spirit of God is way stronger than any worldly or supernatural evil that may come at you. But on your own, left to your own devices, men, we know what it's like when the lights are off and we think nobody's watching and temptation begins to knock at the door. We need to understand that not only is God able but he is willing to provide for our needs when we are bold enough to ask. Not only that, but he's actually the only one that does a good job of it. I want to suggest to you this morning that God's nature is reflected in our nature as fathers. Verses 11 to 13 say, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes my kids don't ask for something that I am able to give them easily, and I want to give them, but they are stubborn, and they want to do it on their own. Am I the only one in the room? Man, I know that, that in, in, in some capacity that that's a healthy thing because there are things that my kids need to learn how to do before they become adults in order to be healthy adults. But there are also these other times where, where it's not a matter of learning to self-regulate or learning some sort of life skill. It's just a matter of, of being stubborn and wanting to be independent from me. And I am sitting there and I'm trying to offer my help and they're refusing. We went to my parents' house this weekend, and my parents gifted my kids a couple kind of outdoor Dollarama-style summer toys. And one of them was this plastic tube with a, an army man with a parachute on him. And you're supposed to whip the tube, and then the, the army guy falls out of the tube, and he floats down. Well, the problem was that this tube was wrapped in that really fine but strong plastic to hold it together in the store, and Sophie was trying to take it off. And I'm standing there, and I'm watching her. I was like, sweetie, why don't you just let me help with that? She said, no, I've got it. I'm going to do that on my own. And I'm standing there, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm calm on the outside, but on the inside, I'm, it's driving me crazy, right? Because I know that in five seconds, I could just have that thing taken care of, and we could be playing with that together. I think that sometimes the Lord wants to give us what we need while we struggle through what can really be handled by Him. I think He placed that desire in us as parents so that we would understand Him better. How to approach Him. How to respond to Him. How to receive from Him. Jesus says to the disciples, well, those of you, you know, the people that have kids, when they ask for something good, do you give them something bad? No. When they ask for something good, do you give them something dangerous? No. 
and you're evil. You have a sinful, fallen nature. We are selfish. We are self-motivated. We, we, we think of ourselves first before others. He said, even though we have that evil, sinful nature, we still don't do that. We understand what it's like to want to give good gifts to our children. So how much more your heavenly Father, being holy and not evil, wants to give you exactly what you need when you just ask Luke, in his gospel, high view here, takes a look at spiritual enablement. What he says when we read the whole gospel in the book of Acts is that we may draw on the Spirit's resources at any point in our walk. And you know what? The Father delights in giving basic spiritual provisions. He delights in giving you good gifts. He delights in giving you exactly what you need. If you need strength, if you need insight, if you need wisdom, if you need provision, he delights in giving it to you if you just ask. I know there are some people who would say, I'm glad that's worked for you, but it didn't work for me. There have been times in my life where I wanted something and I asked God and he didn't give it to me. So it must mean that he doesn't care for me. God cares for some and not for everybody. And I understand where that hurt is coming from. And I don't mean to sound facetious here, but, but in this life, there will be trouble. We know that. We know that we live in a sinful world. And that this side of heaven, there will be trouble. Take a look at this text. God expects boldness from his children when it comes to spiritual requests, but it's important for us to understand that the asking in this passage is not open-ended. God does not promise to give you whatever you want. He only promises to give you what you need. I can say thank you for that, because I know that if I got everything that I wanted all the time, I would be much unhealthier. My son, I think the thing that holds, the, that holds the, the deepest place in his heart is a chocolate chip cookie. Man, like this kid, like he doesn't get that many of them. But like if you've heard him around the church, I'm sure you've heard him saying a cookie, a cookie, a cookie over and over and over again. If I gave him whatever he wanted, he would be very happy. But he would only ever eat chocolate chip cookies. I know that I would not be being a good dad if I were to just give him what he wanted. Even though he can't see it right now, I know that that would be unhealthy. Our Father in heaven has a high view, and as he looks down over us, he is outside of time. And sometimes the things that we think that we want are not what we need. And so sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet. Why? Because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to have a chocolate chip cookie for every single meal. He's a good father. There's an intimacy that we get to experience as sons and daughters of the living God. And this really isn't about feelings, although we do feel it, but it's grounded in this presence of a solid, established relationship. It's a matter of understanding our need for dependence and trust. 
And I know that this point is hard to make. When we live in a culture that is filled with sons and daughters who have human fathers that they never knew, that they were not close to, or that they did not get along with. I know that it's hard to trust a heavenly father when our human father was absent, distant, or cruel. But what, but what we can relate to is the desire to be a superhero. The desire to save the day. The desire to meet needs and provide for others. You know, I think what offends us so much about an absent dad, about a cruel dad, is that it seems like you have to turn off, in order to be that, that you have to turn off a piece of humanity. In order to abdicate your responsibility as a father, that you have to turn off a piece of your heart in order to do that. And I think that that should be offensive. But church, I want you to understand that that does not have any reflection on who you are, and it does not have any reflection on Father God. And I'd suggest that when men abdicate their responsibility, that as much as it breaks our hearts, it breaks his heart even more. God is not a cosmic grouch. He's not an absent dad with a drinking problem. He's not a dad that's overworked, that doesn't have any time for his kids, or is never home, or is there, but just really isn't there. God's not a grouch. He loves us. He cares for us. And he desires what is best for us. He shows the extent of his commitment to us in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, Stephanie shared this morning about our friend who, who loved Jesus and is no longer following Jesus. And her words were that she couldn't believe in a God that would send somebody to hell for just not believing in Jesus. That she couldn't believe that that would be a picture of a loving God. And of course, I'm heartbroken to hear that. But as I approach that statement, I also, I also recall that, that God did not intend for there to be a hell. Hell is the absence of an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father who desires for us to be with Him. I cannot call God a loving God if there is another way to approach Him and He still sends His Son to die a terrifying and painful death. When there is another way, when Jesus is not the way that he is our way, when there is another way, that's not an act of love, that's an act of cruelty. And that is not the God that we serve. God understood that we are fallen and that we are sinful and the wages of sin is death. And because he loves us so much and because there is no other way, he gave up his son the most challenging, the most sacrificial, the most gutting thing that a father could do, he did because he loves us. And the Bible says that if we simply confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died for our sin, that we will be saved. So what do we do this morning? Because there is no other way. I want to suggest to you a few take-homes today. Church, why don't we stand? We're going to continue to worship in a moment. Stephanie, can you join us? If you've never said yes to Jesus, today's the day. That Jesus died for you. 
And perhaps you are like our friend who has had difficulty wrapping her mind around that concept. But I want you to know that what God did for us in his son Jesus, the commitment that he made for us, was an act of love. And it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you have believed or said in the past. Because Jesus' blood on the cross has covered it. And if you simply confess and believe that Jesus died for you, then you too will be saved. Perhaps this morning you needed to be reminded that the Father's heart is to provide for every spiritual need. Perhaps you need to understand that that's the Father's heart for you. Dads, if you want to be a superhero, and I know that you do, understand where your source of power comes from. Tap into it. You know, I grew up watching the Adam West Batman series. Anybody here ever seen that? Ridiculous, like bam, pow, pow, right? Batman never went anywhere without his bat belt. And he understood that his power and that his ability, that his that his ability to navigate these situations and to save the day often relied upon this tool. That there was a source of power for him. And his enemies also understood that that was his source of power. So they would try to take his tools away. Church, we need to understand where our source of power comes from and tap into it. Finally, I believe that we need to model the heart of God in our own life as spiritual fathers, as spiritual mothers, to whoever God places in our path. When you understand and you receive God's provision, you model it for the next generation. And when you live generously, compassionately, and provide for those in need, you show them God's heart for them, and your life becomes a testimony. I'll close with this, and we'll pray. The heart of our Heavenly Father is to provide for you every need that he's placed inside of you. God is called Father, and so are you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us come to a place of greater understanding. That you are there with us in desiring to just give us what we need, not what we want, but what we need, and so we can thank you for that. And in this story that your son told for our benefit, we are called to approach you with boldness and with shamelessness. And we can do that because of your son and what he's done for us. So with every eye closed, We just take a moment and we say yes to Jesus. Some of us for the hundredth time and maybe some of us for the first time this morning and we say yes, we receive you into our lives. We confess that you died for us and we believe that you were raised from the dead and we thank you God for your salvation. We thank you God for your heart for us and we pray that you would be reminding us today as we leave this place, as we parent, as we make personal sacrifices for our children just like you made sacrifices with your children for us, that you would allow us to tap into that power, that we would remember where our power comes from, and help us, God, 
as spiritual parents and as dads to model that for our children. That our lives, that my life as a dad would be a testimony to my kids that just like they can approach me, that I would show them that they can approach you. Change our hearts, Lord. We love you, God. We honor you, and we thank you for our earthly fathers as well, who you have knitted together, who have, you have created and placed a desire within them to be more like you. Help us to lift them up, to honor them, to support them, and pray for them. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus.